Uh, out of class, gentlemen. Fighter pilots. Young JG, that's what Who? Me? And of course, Sam Chabu. Yeah, we back. Hartsfield Jackson, touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I. Yeah. Turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up. Young JG in the passenger. We know we keep the burn up. Everyone, Dallin Wortham here. Today I sit down with Craig Anderson. He is such a cool guy, and once I met him, I knew that I needed to get him on the podcast. I went out to Minnesota to pick up my brother's Belanca Super Viking and fly it down to Valdosta, Georgia from Alexandria, Minnesota. And for insurance purposes, I needed um, some time in the airplane with an instructor who can check me out in a Belanca Super Viking. And um, luckily, he was the guy and uh, we got to talking and spent half a day with each other and uh, he's just super interesting guy awesome pilot airport manager one of the uh, one of the youngest in the country and he just has such a cool story you'll really enjoy um, listening to craig's story about how he got into aviation and what he does now so hope you enjoy this podcast is sponsored by begintofly.com the simplest and easiest way to become a private pilot offering online ground school and connecting you to a flight school near you at a discounted rate. So, without further ado, let's jump in and listen to Craig's story. Everyone, welcome to the Begin to Fly podcast. My name is Dallin Wortham. I'm a flight instructor out in Utah, and today I have Craig with me. Welcome, Craig. Hey, good morning. Awesome. So, Craig, um, I met you going to pick up my brother's a Belanca Super Viking. I've, I've never flown a Belanca Super Viking, so I needed you to uh, train me, endorse me for insurance purposes so I could ferry it down to Georgia. And it was such a, a pleasure flying with you. It was, it was great. And every time I asked you a question, you just had such an interesting answer. And you've done so many cool things already, so I'm excited for my students and anyone else who listens to this to hear your story. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I'm in, uh, excited to chat as well. And you know, hopefully uh, someone can learn something from our discussion here. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome, man. Um, so tell us a little bit of when you realized that you wanted to learn to fly. Sure. Um, you know, I, as a kid, my parents lived on the left downwind for one of our uh, runways at our airport, the left downwind for runway one three. Um, and as a little boy, you know, three, four years old, I liked any type of vehicle, airplanes, trains, cars. Um, you know, the, the trains kind of went by the wayside after the Thomas, the tank engine stage, <laughs> but, uh, cars and airplanes stuck. And I know we've talked before, uh, we both are NASCAR fans and, uh, dirt track racing and whatnot. So that, that passion's still there, but Airplanes is the one that I really couldn't shake. And I think part of it was due to living under the traffic pattern and seeing planes fly all the time. Um, I, I don't have any family in aviation, but it was so intriguing to me that I would bike out to our airport when I was younger and just watch airplanes take off and land and talk to anybody I could and would bug the line workers at the FBO asking them questions and grabbing the controller and trade to plane magazines to read through them and learn different types of planes. Um, <laughs> so I, I always had an interest and in, my family took an annual vacation as well, in Florida, California, 
wherever and you know from flying on the commercial airplanes i really liked um to see how the the inner workings of an airport and how you know major airports international airports are so amazing and there's so many people employed there's so many things going on all hours of the day and that really intrigued me so initially i really wanted to do airport management in uh at a major airport and i figured when i was in high school it's like i really like airplanes i really like to do airport management as a career and kind of just seems natural that I should learn the fly to complement that. So um, it was probably when I was 14 or 15 that I really committed to it. I think I started training when I was 15 um, and then managed to do my solo the day after my 16th birthday and uh, did my private pilot check ride the summer before my junior year of high school. I think it was about a week before high school started for my 11th grade year. Um, did my check ride with a retired crop duster and uh, um, the rest is history, I guess. Wow. That's awesome. And so you didn't necessarily get into aviation for the money or to be a fighter pilot or to fly a big airliner like a lot of us do. You just literally just had a love for aviation. And so you just pursued that. It, it wasn't necessarily for a career, but it's just you just kind of followed what was calling your attention? Yeah. Um, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It was just a general love of aviation. There's really no specific area that really drew me in. Um, and like I said, in high school, I was still fairly set on going to managing an international airport, Minneapolis, Chicago, Denver, something like that. Um, uh, I ended up going to uh, UND up in the University of North Dakota um, I knew I wanted to get a business degree. Um, my family has, uh, I guess I come from a business family. They've had multiple businesses over the past generations. And I kind of had that business type mind instilled in me. And so I knew I wanted a business degree. And that's why I went to UND because they had a program. I think it was an aviation management major where you got a bachelor in business administration. And then you can also get up through your commercial multi-engine rating. So, like I said, I did the Part 61 thing in high school at our FBO and then went up to school and um, pursued that degree and did the ratings on the side. And um, the more I thought about it at school and the more people I met, I really learned that general aviation was the place for me to be. And uh, the more I hung around general aviation, the more I couldn't shake it. That's awesome. That's so cool. I, I think that's refreshing because um, there's people out there like you who love aviation. They want to get into it, um, but they tell themselves, well, I can't really do it because I can't justify it because I don't really plan on, you know, flying for Delta or I don't want to do the military route. So how can I just pursue my love of aviation either as a hobby or airport management or anything other than just the norm. And I think your story is really refreshing because you're saying, hey, like you can be a pilot, you can work with airplanes and aviation, and you don't, there's, there's more than just becoming uh, a regional airline pilot or doing cargo. Like there's, there's more out there. And I think a lot of us put on these blinders saying, okay, I have to um, get to my 1500 hours or my ATP minimums and fly for an airliner and that's what pilots do mm -hmm. and i think it's cool that you're saying no there's a whole new world 
of stuff that you can do um, if you want to see your family every night or if you want to um, grow a, a local FBO airport or if you want to do whatever. Um, there's just so many more options than what most of us know. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, like you kind of alluded to, it comes down to your priorities and uh, what fills your cup. I don't think it's any secret that if you want to make the most money in aviation, you want to be on that airline fast track so that uh, when you are towards, you know, 50, 60, that retirement age, you're making six figures, working 10 days a month. I mean, I think anybody could agree that that sounds like a pretty good lifestyle, but um, you know, to me, that just never really filled my cup um, taking these passengers. Yeah. That we don't know from point A to point B and um, growing up around our general aviation airport to, and uh, um, seeing the passion that people have coming out here and flying their airplanes. And um, that's really what filled my cup. And I think a, a part that contributed to it is, my family actually owns a funeral home in town, which is completely separate from aviation, about 180 degrees. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a huge part of their business is, uh, you know, being really invested in the community um, and being able to connect with one another. And um, that's something I could really relate to around the general aviation community is um, someone has an interest in learning to fly, whether it's uh, for a hobby or professionally. And um, I wanted to make sure that, they met their goals and they're able to do that. And um, I, I don't think there's a better way to do that than, you know, at your local general aviation airport. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. That's why I said I need Craig to be on this podcast because um, it's, it's so refreshing to hear that, you know, just wanting to build your community, help others, and just the, the joy of aviation itself, not the benefits of aviation, but just the love of aviation in and of itself. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So what challenges did you have to overcome to kind of start your flight training, work your way to where you are now? Um, you know, my private, I had a lot of fun. Uh, the biggest challenge in my private was my age. Like I said, I started when I was 15. Um, did my solo at 16 and license at 17 and it, that's two years right there and i was fairly driven about as driven as you could be for a teenager but you know, <laughs> I think that was a grain of salt because teenagers get distracted pretty easily and you know i had school and i had sports and i had friends and other activities and um at that point in my life i wasn't always focusing on flying maybe I should have been out doing a lesson when I was hanging out with friends or whatever the case is. But um, so I think my biggest challenge for my private was just staying focused. Um, and I'm, as an instructor, I'm sure you've seen and heard of uh, plateaus in training. And I definitely hit plateaus here and there. And what really helped me out was just remembering that end goal. It's like, hey, this kind of sucks right now. But I just got to keep persevering and then get that license. And then I can give all my friends rides. If I want to go uh, to Duluth for a day, I'm in central Minnesota. Um, I can go take somebody there. I could take a girl on a date down to Dairy Queen or something at the <laughs> next one over. So um, yeah. <laughs> I'll keep that end goal in mind and that helped keep me motivated. Um, Rock on. I think the 
when I look at the advanced ratings, when I went to UND, their training style and program was a complete 180 from what I was used to. Again, I'm used to a small town FBO, very community based. Um, you know, every nothing happens too fast. Um, so you get yeah. 141 environment, and it's like, holy crap! Um, <laughs> if you're not ready, so yeah. that was a huge adjustment to me. And you know, flying the way they want you to fly. You know, I was a little stubborn because maybe I had some bad habits coming in or. Um, did things a way that they didn't want them to be done. And I learned that it was probably best to just kind of assimilate into the way that they wanted to do it and you'd be successful. So um, it took me a little while to figure that out. But once I kind of got into the flow of their training, uh, you know, like I said, the biggest thing at that point is just making sure you don't get left in the dust. Yeah. Now I think you touched on something that's really important and um, new pilots and experienced pilots both struggle with this is there's just a, there's a million ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. And so, so a lot of people get in this rut of, well, my flight instructor taught me this way, or I do it this way, or I deploy flaps at this part of the traffic pattern. Um, instead of kind of being open to new ways of doing things and uh, learning new flight techniques. So when I fly with a different instructor or different students. I like to try new things. Uh, I ask people how they do it. And then I just fly like them for the day. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes you'll find a bunch of things that you either, um, you know, don't want to do, which is fine. You've tried it or you go, wow, I'm going to adapt this into my flight style. And it's the pilots that are stubborn that don't want to go outside of their style of flying that kind of stagnate and kind of don't improve because they're not learning different ways of doing something. So yep. that's awesome. Absolutely. I, I always encourage my students uh, to go fly with our other instructors too. You know, if, if my schedule's tight, I'm like, Hey, take this opportunity to go fly with someone else. You know, it, they may do things a little differently, but it's good for a person to get that different perspective. And I found that very valuable myself as I was going through training and I still like flying with other experienced pilots, even like yourself when we flew together um, to see other people's habits, techniques. And what I tell all my students is as long as it's safe, you know, there's no single correct way to do something. Yeah. And I felt the same way flying with you. I was like, man, this is awesome. Just learning kind of, just being in your shoes and kind of flying the airplane like you flew it was was refreshing because as an instructor you just teach other people to fly like you yeah and so it's good to kind of get out of that bubble and fly with another experienced pilot and and learn so that was really nice yeah absolutely well, awesome so um tell us a little bit about what you do now what you fly now what are some of uh, your goals? How did you get to where you are? Just just tell us exactly where you are, how you got there, and where you're going next. Yeah. Um, so when I went off to college, um, like I said, I got a business degree and got all the ratings to go along with it up through the commercial multi-engine. And then um, I actually did my CFI as an elective course at our college, which um, for those that have done their CFI know it's a very intensive and challenging rating. So um, I think I got some eyebrows when I said I was doing it as an elective course, but hey, <laughs> I knew it was a very valuable rating to have. And it's uh, without it, I definitely won't be in the spot I'm at. So um, uh, I would always encourage someone to go get their CFI if they're uh, 
kind of on the fence about it. But I got my ratings in college, and then in the summer I come back to Alexandria, Minnesota, where I live. Uh, we're a lakes and tourist town, you know, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes. So it's a pretty good place to be in the summer. So I'm like, you know, I'll, instead of doing an internship, I'll come back and just work my butt off. And um, The instructors we had at the time were all retirees, um, 65 plus years old, either retired from the airlines or 135 operators or whatnot. And they enjoyed it, but they didn't want to be putting in, you know, 12 hour days, working with six students a day. Um, you know, they had families and grandkids that they wanted to see. And when I came along, um, they were more than happy to, you know, dump everything on their lap. And as a fresh commercial pilot in CFI, I was pretty gung-ho about it. So yeah, um, the timing was right. I'd come back in the summer and work with students. And during the school year, I'd, I'd make a trip back about once every other weekend to help students out. And then when graduation came, I I really didn't have a I, – I didn't have any – um, specific area or a career I was looking for, whether it was airlines or 135 or whatnot. And, you know, I was like, I ought to just come back to Alexandria for a year and figure it out. I have enough instruction as I want there. Um, I'll continue to build my time. More time never hurts. Um, and then go from there. So that was 2017. I came back full time to Alexandria at the airport and I was primarily the only instructor I had a couple people that helped out but it was mostly me and I just worked my butt off um I think I put a thousand hours in that year of flying so um yeah if someone was if someone was willing to fly I would meet meet them there at the airport 6 a.m 9 p.m you tell me and I'll be there um so I did that and towards the end of that year around Thanksgiving the manager pulled me aside for our airport and uh um, I was like, oh, no, what's going on? <laughs> and he, said, uh, he had a um, a chance to move on to a, a new job and was wondering if he was to take that, if I would be interested in airport management um, and the way that it works at our airport. And it's pretty, pretty typical for a, a town our size, about 20,000 people, is your airport manager is usually contracted by a company rather than being a city employee. So that was the case here is the FBO, Alexandria Aviation, um, is contracted to provide the airport management services. So this manager asked me if I would want to move into his shoes when he left. And um, I got a degree in it. So I was like, yeah, this this works out perfect. I absolutely love that. It's my hometown. I'm very passionate about it. Um, let's do it. So that ended up working. He ended up getting the job at uh, the local FISDO. So he's down at the FAA's office. Um, and it's worked out really well. So now I'm two and a half years into the airport management. And, um, apart from that, I still do flight instruction. We're really busy this summer, which kind of surprised me, but I'll take it. Um, but primarily flight instruction, airport management. And then we do have a very small charter service as well. We have uh, one pilot, which is myself. And then we have one airplane, which is a Piper Navajo chieftain. Um, so I guess that's a long story on what do I do now? And, uh, um, how I got there. That's awesome. So let's, I, I just have so many questions. One, mm-hmm. how is running an airport? Has it, what challenges have you faced? What have you liked about it? What is maybe the part that you don't like about it? What advice do you have to 
someone who maybe wants to pursue working as an airport manager at their local airport. Um, and I have so many more, but we'll just start there. So let's yeah. talk about airport management, what you like, challenges you faced. Yeah. Um, first off, if you're a person that bleeds aviation or um, bleeds airplanes and you love being around it, you don't want to be anywhere but the airport, I'll tell you right now, you're going to make a good manager. Um, the biggest challenge for me is learning how a city government works. Um, and I always joke with our locals when they ask me that same question, how's it going? Is it's, you know, well, I already know the airport stuff. Even students, our students, they know what a notum is, right? So they know what a notum is. As a manager, I know what a notum is. The only difference is I'm the one that issues it. So the aviations type stuff it comes pretty easy, but um, learning how to get funding through government, um, whenever something breaks, you get a call at midnight saying that the med medical helicopters, a hangar door broke. It's like, all right, how do I go about solving these issues? Um, so I'd say in the past two and a half years, the biggest challenge and the most I've learned is about city governments and um, contractors. You know, like I said, you you have that door break at midnight. They need that door working so they can go out and save lives. Who do I call? I can't fix a hangar door. So it's establishing those relationships with the uh, um, businesses in the area that can help you out uh, in those times of need. And it's taken a little while to figure that out, but I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with it than I was right at the beginning. Awesome. No, that's so cool. And um, I, I kind of know this a little bit because you told me about it, but talk to those who are listening to this podcast. How old are you and how unique is it that you're an airport manager? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm 26 right now. Uh, I started the airport management role January of 2018. So I would have been 23 years old because um, I have an April birthday. So, yeah, um, I started when I was 23. And... Uh, um, I had done a little research, both my friends and I did a little research and we couldn't find anything anywhere about anyone that was younger than myself. So um, I mentioned that to a newspaper reporter when she came in and interviewed me shortly after taking the position and we kind of joked about it. And then she put it in her newspaper article and then <laughs> kind of took off. It's, I think it actually made the front page if I remember right. Cause a couple weeks after, um, that happened I was actually with a student we're working on his private and I think we're doing a cross-country and uh, then we had another lesson in the evening so after a cross-country we went to Taco John's um, if you're not from the Midwest Taco John's is just like a Taco Bell um, <laughs> and you go up to the front counter and she does a double take at me and she's like you're the guy in the newspaper I'm like what are you talking about and they had a copy of today's local newspaper right at the counter and sure enough there was my face on it. I said, like, does Alexandria have the country's youngest airport manager? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Just... <laughs> so, um, yeah, at the time, you know, we kind of joked about I must be the youngest. And um, I'm 26 now. So uh, I'd be curious to know if I've been beaten. You know, I, I would love to have been beaten because I love getting uh, having young people like us involved in aviation, especially in the general aviation community. But um you know, kind of 
to finish your question, I, I just think I'm pretty fortunate that our city and local government had enough faith in me as a 23 year old that uh, to trust that I would do a good job. And you no, know, I still think about that and try to do my best to make sure I don't let them down and um, create a positive environment here. Awesome. So is is your goal to continue and just grow the Alexandria airport to just be the best it can be? Um, or are you still wanting to do one of those international airports someday or? You know, my, uh, my priorities have shifted a little bit. Once I got into the airport management role here and, you know, there's like a Minnesota airports conference I go to and whatnot. And I realized, you know, well, let's think about, there's probably, I forget how many public airports there are in the U S maybe 5,000 we'll say. And you think of those class Bravo airports, there might be 30, 25 or 30 class Bravos in the U S. So those jobs are pretty competitive and it's kind of like, you know, a major airline deal where you don't quite get there, quite get to where you want until you're into your mid fifties. So um, I was like, you know, I could spend my career hopping from airport to airport, um, you know, trying to bolster my resume to be able to get a shot at one of those years down the road, or I could stick here and, um, you know, make this the absolute best place it can be. And, um, the jury's not out on it, but as it stands right now, I, I, like I said, I'm from this community. I'm the fifth generation of my family to live in this town. And so I have really strong ties and, um, so it'd be hard to pull me away right now. That's an awesome answer. Very cool. Um, so as an airport, uh, manager, um, what advice do you have to someone else that wants to get into airport management or maybe someone who's a current airport manager, um, just some tips, experiences that have uh, helped you and that might be helpful to someone else. Um, first thing is make sure you're passionate about it, which if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you are, um, (laughs) managers I see, and I have a lot of friends that are managers as well at airports around our area. And we're all incredibly passionate. It's kind of funny because if I call one of them on the phone, I got to make sure that I have about an hour of free time because I might ask a question about how they do something down there. And then the other 55 minutes is us talking about airplanes. So (laughs) number one is make sure you're passionate about it and it's going to make your work and your life really easy. Um, I guess the other side of it would be if you want to get into it or you are into it, um, Uh, what's I don't try to think of the best way to phrase it, but uh, make sure you're always positive and remember that you are a representative for your community. So um, you got to be careful about what you do or what you say, because um, you don't know how it can come back or how the wrong person could hear it, and uh, you know that could have a negative impact on you. So, yeah. So, um, moving forward with Alexandria's airport, um, mm-hmm. as an airport manager, like, what is your goal? Is it to turn it into a towered airport someday? Is it to get um, more companies to fly out of there um, or to purchase hangars, build hangars? Um, what, what's what's the goal of an average airport manager? Yeah. You know, I think, and this is another important piece of advice, is you really have to sit down and ask yourself, 
this airport and this town, what are our strengths and weaknesses? Um, for Alexandria, our strengths is that we have a really strong local pilot base and we're a vacation town slash cabin town. So in the summer, we get really busy. Matter of fact, as I'm sitting here, we've already had probably three, four planes fly in for the weekend. Um, just this morning, it's it's 11 a.m. here in Minnesota on Saturday. Um, so, you know, it's identifying those strengths of who is using our airport and how can we benefit them. So since we have a lot of general aviation activity, um, immediate goal is to build more hangars. Uh, we actually have 10 more T hangars in the works this year, which everything looks like that's going to be a go. Um, Another goal I have a few years down the road is um, adding on to our terminal building and putting a restaurant in there, which would give people fly in to uh, use our airport, eat at the restaurant, and then uh, hopefully from our, our locals too. You know, we're I always tell people we're the Chicago Midway of of uh, <laughs> Minnesota because as you saw, our airport's right in the middle of town. Um, mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a great location for you know, the folks in town that want to go eat breakfast or something. So that's kind of an intermediate goal. Um, you know, some of our weaknesses is, uh, we, we don't have any business aircraft based at our airport. Um, I think that there's a possibility we could, but it would take a lot of convincing and a lot of proving that it's worthwhile to some businesses in town. Um, so that's a longer term goal. Um, another weakness of ours is our location. So we're about two hours from Minneapolis and one and a half hour from Fargo, North Dakota. Um, but we are right on the interstate and I'd love to be proven wrong, but I don't think that any type of air service would really work because, um, we don't qualify for the essential air service program. And, uh, if we did have a carrier that came in and, you know, used the free market to do flights in and out of here, I think people would rather drive a couple hours to MSP than pay several hundred bucks to hop on a caravan for a 45 minute flight. So um, I guess that's a little rundown on what we're looking at in the future. Um, we have our strengths and we're going to continue to build off of them, but we also have to be realistic and understand that, um, you know, there may be some things I want to do that just may not work. That's awesome. No, that's, that's really good advice. And I think the same thing can be done for airport management, but also just as a person, like play to your strengths, understand your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, there's no point in, you know, learning to be, you know, practicing really, really, really hard to be a sumo wrestler if you're like a 90 pound yeah, exactly. yep. person, you yep. know, so just figure out what, what am I good at and what do I enjoy? What, um, where do my strength, what are my strengths and where do they lie in terms of like my enjoyment and then just play to those. So, um, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, so before we move on to our last question, I just, I want to ask a little bit more about your flight instruction, your chartering, mm -hmm. um, what you enjoy the most in terms of flying, if you enjoy charter or if you enjoy flight instruction, and what type of planes have you flown? Do you have a favorite one? Things like that. Sure. Um, regarding the flight instruction, um, our bread and butter has been private pilot students, and it's mostly probably 70% people that learn to fly for fun, and I absolutely love that because there's in aviation, I don't think there's a better way to see 
your passion through instructing those other people. You can take them from them walking in the door, knowing nothing. Um, you can get them their private pilot license. And what I really like to see is even taking that next step and okay, now they want to buy an airplane. You can kind of coach them through buying an airplane, what would be a good fit, what would not be a good fit. Um, and then they start flying their airplane, they get other friends in, invested in it. And um, then you got their friends that are coming to take lessons too. So like I said, kind of going back to the community, that's my favorite part about the flight instruction is just seeing that positive impact you have on people. Um, regarding the charter flights, my favorite part of that is all the destinations you go to. And again, like I said, I, I mentioned earlier how airline flying just probably wouldn't fill my cup because you're going between MSP and Detroit and Chicago and Miami, and you're going to have been to all those places hundreds of times by the time you retire versus in the charter world, you get a phone call and you don't know where you're going. I've uh, flown into places in Montana and Wyoming that I didn't even know existed the day prior. <laughs> so I really like that aspect. And, you know, I really like geography. I really like history. So it gives me a reason to um, learn about, learn a bit about those places too. Um, when you go visit. That's and, awesome. Um, the airplane question. Um I actually I have an online logbook, so I pulled it up here because I knew you were going to ask that question. Um, <laughs> uh, I've flown over 60 different types. Um, and that's not like 172N versus an S model. It's like 172 <laughs> versus 150. So, um, yeah, 60-plus types. Um, the most is in a 172. Go figure. It must be a flight instructor. Um, yeah. As far as favorites, man, it's it's so hard to pick a favorite. Um, each airplane has their, kind of like we talked about, strength and weakness. Um, I really like the blank, as like we talked about, uh, your brother ended up with a Super Viking, and I have the Super Viking's little brother, which is a cruise master. Um, it has the triple tail. So if a person's listening, go on Google and look up a Blanca 14-19-3. That's what I have. Um, so I really like the Blancas, especially since they're built in my hometown. Um, they kind of tug at my heartstrings. Um, yeah. the past year I've been flying a King Air 200 part-time for a company and, uh, I really enjoyed that. Definitely the biggest and fastest airplane I've flown without a doubt. Um, then if you kind of go to the other end of the spectrum, uh, I love a good Aronka champ. I have, uh, I actually just bought a quarter share of a champ about a year ago and I've flown a few different ones and um, going low and slow. Um, I really like a champ. Uh, I've never flown a J3 Cub. That's that's probably in my top five most wanted for airplane types I haven't flown. Um, yeah. I've done a, a Piper PA-12 and a Piper Super Cub, but never the original um, J3. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's a rundown for you. Probably most unique awesome. airplane. It's hard to say. Um, I'm looking through my list here. I've flown a kit box two, did some instruction in the guy in that. Um, Quad City Challenger, that's an interesting plane. A little not an ultralight, but ultralight esque. So Yeah. Um, well rock on, man. Yeah. That's great. Um and what uh, 
I mean, I, I just know I'm thinking about people who are thinking about learning to fly or maybe they're in their flight training right now and there's, they're just drooling like, man, this guy has flown over 60 different types of airplanes. That's awesome. Um, so what advice do you just have to the pilot who is looking at someone like you and just thinking, man, I just, what I would do to be in his shoes, just flying pretty much any day, every day, whenever I want. Um, and maybe they're a little discouraged because of money or um, they don't have the time or for health reasons, whatever it may be, they have their own challenges. What advice do you have to that aspiring pilot? Um, I would say perseverance is probably the biggest thing. We'll just think of where you want to be, and I'm sure you'll get there if you put in the work to do so. I don't think there's a, a substitute for hard work. Um, the other thing I've found is building a client base and building trust in people. And if you can really build trust in people, they're going to refer you to others. And that's where a lot of this has came from is um, you do someone's private and then they refer you or someone, they refer your name um, to their friend and then their friend comes to you and the ball just keeps rolling. So if you, if you do things right, um, if you're responsible and uh, you're not out to make a quick buck or, um, kind of use somebody to pander to building your own hours um, and you really show that you're invested in them, uh, you'll succeed. That's awesome. That's such good advice is really being the person scratching other people's backs, um, doing it to help other people. That will definitely lead you down the right road because in aviation, um, I would say even more than any other career field, it's just who you know and the trust you build. So Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Um, and I, I think you are a testament of this, and so am I, and so is every pilot. A lot of students or people that want to become pilots, they think, man, I'm, I don't know what I want to do, and they kind of hesitate, and they don't progress because they're not really sure if they want to do airport management or if they want to do this or if they want to do that. Um, And quite honestly, aviation is, let me backtrack here, with any sort of career, you want to really map it out so that you don't spend a lot of money to do something that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But aviation to me is one of those things where it's like, literally, the more you think about it, the worse off you'll be. Just jump into it, get your ratings like what you did, and so many doors will open up to you. Um, airlines, airport management, um, flying helicopters, um, like life flight stuff, um, tours. There, there, there's just so much you can do. And if you know that you have a passion for aviation, but you don't really know what, um, just jump into it. Because as you start flying, you said that you got your airport manager gig by being out at the airport and you flew a thousand hours in a year just by being there showing up meeting people networking you it's just impossible to not find a way in aviation if you just show up and you're that person that everyone sees every day out at the airport you're exactly right and um you know even the coronavirus things really putting a damper on our industry they're still going to need pilots a few years from now. We're gonna, I, I'm, I'm confident we're going to be back to that shortage that we saw the past several years. Um, and 
with that being said, the majority of people want to go to the airlines, which means that everything below that, corporate, part 135, airport managers, flight instructors, A&P mechanics, that's all going to be in high demand again. You go out to a lot of these general aviation airports and the A&Ps or the airport managers are 60 plus years old and have been doing it for 40 years. And my question is, who's going to replace them? Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about it for some of these airports. And, you know, I'm, I'm confident that we're in a good position here at our airport. But, you know, I someone needs to replace them. And so there, there's room for a person in this industry if they want to put in the work to get there. Of course. And especially now, it's, it's kind of like the stocks, like buy low, sell high. Like you don't want to start your flight training mm-hmm. when it's at its peak, because by the time you're kind of done with your flight training, um, you might have missed the peak. And it goes up and down, up and down. And it's pretty consistent in the airline industry. Um, every 10 years, it will go up and then down. Um, mm-hmm. So start now. Don't wait so that you know, you are ready to jump in when things are kicking back up and when people need you. So absolutely. Well, awesome. Um, That's pretty much it, my friend. Um, Do you have any other cool stories, um, tips, anything you'd like to say before I let you go? Hmm. Um, Here's a tip. If you haven't been to Oshkosh, you need to. (laughs) Um, I think I asked you that question too, when you're up here and uh, people listening, it's uh um, it's one of those things, if you like airplanes, whether you're invested in training, whether you haven't spent a dollar on aviation yet, you need to go to Oshkosh and, um, there's something for everybody there. And, um, yeah, that's, I know it's not going on this year. Go watch some YouTube videos, go look at photos on their website or whatnot. But, um, I really think a person needs to do that if they have any remote interest in aviation. Um, so that, uh, that'd be my other piece of advice is just dive headfirst into it. Um, 90%, 90, 95% of people you meet in aviation are absolutely fantastic people. Um, we had a storm come through last night. One of our friends has an airplane and he keeps it at a lake on straight floats. And we were worried about, uh, you know, was he going to get hailed on or flipped in the storm? So. We said, hey, if you bring it over to the airport, because there's a, a lake right next to the airport, we have a little dock there. So, hey, if you bring it over there, we'll have the trailer and the truck ready, put it right on, and we'll go find a hangar for you for the night. So, um, you know, it's just a little example of how the aviation community is really something special, and um, there's more room for people. There's always more room. That's awesome, man. Yes, so much yes to what you just said. Um, cool. Thanks so much, Craig. Absolutely. Um, me and my brother, when we went to go pick up his, I'll, I'll, instead of saying Belanca, I'll say Belanca. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we went to go pick up his Belanca, um, we were so impressed by um, the city of Alexandria, um, the people who sold the aircraft. We were so impressed with you. Um, and it, it's crazy. Um, hopefully I'm not overstepping my bounds here, but um, it was crazy how within half a day you went from a complete stranger to someone that I could literally call like a friend. Like if I were to be in Minnesota right now, I could say I can call up Craig and go out to lunch with this guy. Absolutely. So thanks so much for um, being that guy, for being an awesome aviator out in Minnesota and growing your community there and for joining us on the podcast. 
I appreciate uh, you know having me on here and you know like you said I, I think that's a special thing about aviation is you have that common interest and you know no matter what our what other views we have um, you know I, I think that anyone can get along if as long as people like aviation it's you really do make a lot of friends quick and uh, I think we're a great example of that. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks so much, Craig. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Woke up in a vet, headed to the jet. It's a set. Run up, good up. Words of weapons, scheming different levels. Inception, catch that interception. Run it till it's OV. OG, pass, pass it to the worthy. RSK, let it play, boy. We be killing it most days. Our bonds are tight with no phrase. Welcoming, no strays. Mashing up with the most base. We've ended up okay, and our whole crew's here to stay. Dogs have left the pound, boy. We 